Uh, well, welcome to all of you that are joining us today here with us and those of you joining us by live stream. Good to be with you as well. All right, well, I don't know, in part from church announcements and bulletins, um, I'm not sure that you may or may not have been aware that today is Pentecost Sunday. Right? I know a lot of other stuff that got a lot of fanfare today. Um, Memorial Day weekend, the beginning of summer, you know, it's the launch of a season. You know, we're thinking, we're thinking about traveling. We're thinking about exciting things to do this summer, summer plans and summer clothing and <clears throat> all that stuff has gotten our attention. Probably Pentecost Sunday didn't stick out for a lot of us. Now, if you're a Christian, you know that word, you know something about something significant happened, and you probably know a little bit about what that day was about. If you're new to reading the Bible, or you're, maybe you're just getting around church and, and learning some things about <clears throat> what God has done, you know big holidays like Christmas, right? I mean, it, everybody in the world knows Christmas. It's the origin of God himself coming to earth but then it kind of turned into this Santa Claus thing. You know, it, it, it's kind of interesting that Christmas and Easter, everybody knows about Christmas and Easter. But eventually, the world felt like it needed a little help, right? I mean, it's, those were probably significant things. But if we could dress it up with Santa Claus and gifts, everybody would be interested. And if we could give away some candy at Easter even the resurrection would become interesting, right? So there's something being said about that that then puts Pentecost in the realm of what do you do with Pentecost? Well, I, I want to do something for us today that maybe gets us to think differently about Pentecost, differently not from the Bible's perspective, but maybe from ours. There are certain things that exist in Scripture that, that are in, they, they really are this, they are historic reference points. Something happened at a particular time in the past. The cross of Jesus Christ was an event that took place at a particular moment and something got accomplished in that moment. And then you and I live a life on the other side of that with that in mind. It has implications when we become aware of that. The resurrection is that way as well. It happened in a particular moment. So it's a historic event that if, if you could go back in time and stand at the right geographic physical location on earth, it, this is not some mythology. You would find the actual event of a tomb that got emptied out at a particular moment. If you could have been there on site, Jesus would have been there and then you could have checked your watch and poof, he'd have been gone. The resurrection would have taken place. And then the resurrection informs us, right? There's doctrines that grow out of this. Doctrines like justification, right? The idea that, that human beings could made right, be made right with God. That came from these historic activities that happened again at a particular calendar moment at a particular time, right? Jesus is not continuing to be crucified. And in some sense, the resurrection is not continuing to happen. Jesus is not still being resurrected. He 
was resurrected and he was ascended to the Father. And so those events took place at a particular moment. The ascension is not still happening. Does that make sense? It, it's done. And that ascension was a statement by God. Not that this was going to be an ongoing thing that from now until this other moment, Jesus is continuing to slowly make his way into this place up at the right hand of the Father. No, 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 that happened already. Now, you and I live in light of that. Things, things are different on this side because that's taken place. But Pentecost is a little bit different than that. Pentecost is not just something that happened in a moment in the past. It is the inauguration of something that is still happening right now. And do you get the difference? This is not to denigrate or lower anything that we know about our Christian faith from other categories, but just to address you experience Pentecost a little bit differently than you experience the cross or the resurrection, although we do experience them all. But I, I want to awaken something in us that I think makes this day lose its touch of our lives Pentecost is very experiential, very experiential. It doesn't want to just be remembered like the cross. Like when I remember something, you know, if, if somehow a judge sat down and wrote a decree on a particular date that got you out of jail, you could remember that it was a moment that, that, it, it liberated you. The cross is like that. Pentecost is sort of not like that. Pentecost keeps on happening. It's a continuous thing. We still live in and experience Pentecost today, not just an historic moment in the past. So I titled today's message, Pentecost and New Expectations and New experiences as well. N.T. Wright in his commentary on the book of Acts says this, Pentecost then is a word with very particular meaning, which Luke, who is the writer of Acts, is keen that we should grasp. But of course, the first day of Pentecost and the experience of God's spirit from that day to this can no more be reduced to theological formula and interesting Old Testament echoes than you can reduce a hurricane to a list of diagrams on a meteorologist's chart. That's particularly meaningful for us. I don't know how the rest of the universe reads that thought from this man. You and I know something about this, don't we? It's important that someone somewhere is tracking the hurricane and telling us what it's doing. But when it comes to Pentecost, it's far more important that you're out there in the wind, letting it sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech and transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. There's a bunch of us here who listen to people chart hurricanes. 
Nash Roberts, historic prophet of hurricanes, everybody's favorite. Maybe Bob Breck finishing second. People talk about, right? They tell you the pressure. They put it on a diagram. They, now we can watch it move and the eye forms and there's all this data, all this data, all this information. How many of you guys have experienced a hurricane? Some of us, if nothing else, we experience running from them, right? We, <laughs> we didn't stick around for that thing. We got in the car and sat in traffic for a gazillion hours. That's, that's the impact of the hurricane. But if you've ever stayed through one, and some of you have, some of you, how many of you guys stayed through Ida? I won't ask you to raise your hand because it'll show you're, you're, you're a coward, but... Uh, how many of you will never do that again? Everybody I've talked to who lived in my neighborhood, which we were just a few miles from the, uh, the, the eye wall, everybody who told me, all my neighbors, like, we will never do that again. I mean, five hours. I, I mean, I stayed home for one that came close to us one year. It was a tropical storm. And, and it, it may be the top winds were, you know, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour where we were. And uh, actually, I think it was a junior hurricane, one of those smaller ones. And when I listened to my house and the noises that it made that I've never heard it make before, something in me said, I would not want to be here if these winds were 110, 130, etc. So there's something different in there about reading about something and having a concept of it. And if I tell you there's this date, there's this moment in Acts chapter 2, which is where I want you to turn right now, that is going to record an historic moment. You can feel a certain way. It's like a meteorological chart. It's going to tell you something about Hurricane Pentecost. But these guys experienced it. And they highlight the experiences of it. They don't just tell us the, the technical data about the barometric pressure and the wind speed, etc., they actually, their hair moves in the wind. They feel something of the mystery of the power of this thing present with them. Right? So let's be careful when we read certain things in the scripture as to, as to what, what are we inviting into our lives? That's what I want us to conclude with. Pentecost is God telling us there's a new day and I do stuff. And I want you to expect the new day. I don't want you to keep expecting the old one. I'm doing something in this day that's not like what you experienced in the past. And we're to expect that. And we're to experience it and have a few stories to tell about that. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place, right? I'm not going to go back and grab history here, but you guys remember, there's 120 followers of Jesus. That's not a big number, by the way. Right? This just advertises the fact that the Son of God could be here and do miracles that would blow people's mind, and he did. Preach messages that arrested people's hearts, and he did. Speak with authority in such a way that people recognize that this ain't just another earthly dude here. And then when he's crucified, and on the other side of the resurrection... Only 120 people are in the upper room. Let's, let's, let's be humbled by that. Let's not any of us flatter ourselves to think, hey, I get this. I get what this book says. I'm all about it, man. Uh, 
after three years of ministry, there's a whole 120 people gathered together in this moment. Right, so they're in the upper room. They've been praying. They've been waiting. Jesus has prepared them that something's coming. And Acts chapter 2 is the coming of that something. Verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to draw our attention because the, the, the gravity of these verses pulls our attention to certain places. And if you're like me, uh, verses two through four are the gravity in just this little piece here. And it pulls my attention there and it makes me race past what was said in verse one. Because, hey, that's, that's some unusual phenomena. And I'm thinking, what did that feel like? What did it sound like to be in that room with like an indoor hurricane seemingly going on? And then these actual little appearances of flame that seemed to find its way to every person. It's like, it'd be hard not to talk about that, right? But there's something that gets said here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, right? Don't get sucked into the next part. This is not like the Bible said, when Tuesday came, it's as though this day is a significant day. It's as though it's been waited for. It's arrived. It's, it's here. Finally, this day is here. But when you read the rest of what Scripture says about this day, it, it's, it's not like a day. It's more like a portal, an opening in time to pass into the next season of time. It's more like that than it is a moment. Oh, finally, this event. When Jesus is on the cross and he says, it is finished, that's a moment. Something that's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting to happen is done, completed, it's finished. Pentecost is like the opposite of that. Pentecost is like a door opening into something. It's, it's a new realm. It's a new time zone in God, if you will. And it's been long anticipated. I would wear you out if I pulled out all the verses that are anticipating this moment. They're all over the place. If we go back 700 plus years to Isaiah the prophet, the 8th century, he says, for I, God's prophesying, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, I will pour out my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. That language is the language of Pentecost. Isaiah saw the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of God's spirit. Ezekiel, 6th century, 150 so plus years since Isaiah thought this thought and said it. Ezekiel says, and I will not hide my face anymore from them. When I pour out my spirit 
upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Ezekiel saw this day, the day of Pentecost. That's the day of outpouring. Joel, who's about to get quoted here, you will see from the apostle Peter, says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Joel, as we're going to just see in a moment, is specifically thinking of Pentecost, the day that's soon to arrive. John the Baptist has this amazing call in his life, this ministry to go be the forerunner of Jesus. He has in his mind that my ministry will do this, but there's another day coming that he's anticipating. Remember John saying this? Mark chapter 1. John says to the crowd, I have baptized you with water. But he, Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When? When's he going to do that? Beginning on the day of Pentecost. John the Baptist, the, the last, if you will, of the Old Testament prophets, is still talking about this event. Everybody's got this in mind. Jesus said so much about this day coming. He spoke to his disciples over and over and over again about something else, something else, something else. Remember, his last instructions to them were, wait, don't, don't go anywhere. Wait in Jerusalem until you are, quote, clothed with power from on high. He saw this day coming. He grabs them in Acts chapter 1 right beforehand and he says, listen, guys, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus, that's what you want to talk about? I mean, you, you just did the cross and the resurrection. You sure don't want to bust out some teaching on justification? No, no, no. It's very important that you are mindful and waiting for this day that's about to arrive. And Jesus clarified something, right? John chapter 7. Again, I could wear you out if we hung out in these passages. John chapter 7. This great public festival going on. God had designed the festival, which, by the way, Pentecost is a festival in the Old Testament that was going to reach its fulfillment in what happens right here on this day that we read about. But on another fest occasion, John 7, verse 37, says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Listen, hey, if you're here today and, and some of this stuff just sounds like, hey, I've never heard something. Listen, this is, this is the kind of experience the Savior who came to this world wants to give to you. That's an experience, right? Anybody cut their grass yet this year? You can raise your hand. Yeah. Did you sweat? get kind of hot, pour down some Gatorade afterwards. Did you experience that Gatorade? I mean, I specifically choose Gatorade so that I can experience it. And you can drink it really fast. Maybe iced tea, a little lemon in it, right? I don't like pop open something fizzy because I can't chug it, right? I want to experience this when I am thirsty. Well, Jesus, hey, your life's going to feel that way. And what I have to offer you is like it travels inside of you and it makes you go, oh, it's an experience. And Jesus taps into that. He uses an experiential metaphor to describe what it's like for the Savior to come into your soul. 
He says, now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. That moment when he is resurrected and then ascended, that's the glorifying of the Son and his return to his reign as king over the universe. Now that that's happened, something different can come to man that was not to be given before. So when you get to this passage and you read, the day of Pentecost arrived. Oh, don't read that too fast. This day has been anticipated, if you will, I think there's a dimension to this, that this day has been anticipated since the Garden of Eden. When God had breathed his life into man and then man forfeited it. And no longer was the Spirit of God in man in the same way. And this day inaugurates a new day. This is a day deeply anticipated. So let me just make three points here as we unpack some of Acts chapter 2. This day is characterized, one, by limited human understanding. Like it or not, everybody who gets around this day has a problem understanding it. True then, true now. Secondly, this day is characterized by a different posture of God. God is postured differently from the moment of Pentecost on. That's why Pentecost is not just an event. God is is postured a certain way from the moment Pentecost occurs until Jesus returns. Second, thirdly, this means this day characterizes a different experience for man. We should experience God differently on the other side of Pentecost as a result of what God has done. So let's look at that first one, limited human understanding. This is humbling, I will acknowledge, very limited. I don't know how you're doing, but very limited human understanding when it comes to the realm of the Spirit, the experiencing of the Spirit, very limited right here that you're having to listen to today. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men. Hold on to that word, devout. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And there's going to be a list of where all these nations are because this was a festival that summoned the people of God. There were three festivals that they were summoned to each year that they had to travel great distances. I mean, they came from North Africa. They came from parts of Asia. They came from all over the world to be at these events because they took serious some things that God said. And they're described as devout men. So these are not people who just happen to casually be in the neighborhood today. Some of them are, some of them live in Jerusalem. But this is a crowd who has come here because God has said something and, and, and we believe something about what he has said. Verse 6. At this sound, right? Remember the crowd is hearing them now. They've come out into the street and they're all speaking in tongues. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. This long anticipated day, it shows up. And the crowd is bewildered. That word means confounded, confused. What the heck? And then verse 12, 
all were amazed and perplexed. Perplexed, that word means to be entirely at a loss. What on earth? Saying to one another, what on earth? (laughs) Right? The actual translation is, what does this mean? In verse 13, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. I'm not going to unpack some of these things are just, but can you imagine what did it look like that that's what they came up with as a solution? I would, I would imagine, I mean, these guys, they've, they've, they're observable now. They're, they're speaking in tongues. Their, their tongues, as, the, as the, the Bible describes, are making known the mighty deeds of God in languages they've never spoken before. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what that looks like when you're trying that on for the first time. Right? You're walking out speaking a language you've never spoken before, and it's just kind of flowing out of you. What do you look like? Well, apparently you look like you're drunk. Probably because they're a little bit too loud. There's these weird smiles on their faces, right? I don't think this looks like, you know, some, I don't know, parade of monks walking through the streets chanting something somber and serious. I, I don't know when the last time you saw a drunk that looked like that. These guys are loud and boisterous and laughing, maybe high-fiving each other. I don't know what they're doing, but there's something that says this is not 9 a.m. behavior. These guys must be just lit. Well, I mean, they were at a feast and a festival, which, you know, there was a lot of feasting and festival going on there. Maybe that's what's going on. No, there's something here taking place. But what Luke reveals about these people is these are devout men observing this moment. They're devout men. That word's a compliment. That's not some stuck-up religious word. That's a good word in the Bible. When you found that word being used to describe people, it, these, are, these are good people who want to pay attention to the things of God. Right? The Greek word there, I put a little quote in your outline there, just the Greek word for devout. It comes from a family of words. And if, in, in the just non-Christian usage, if you will, if you just trace the Greek of the day, it means a, a group that denotes an attitude of, of caution or circumspection. Regard for the kairos. That kairos is, is a Greek word that, that is about time. But it's not like chronological, hey, the next thing that happened time, but the significance of this moment time. So these are people who pay attention to the significance of moments. They're vigilant, provision, concern, conscientiousness. In religion, scrupulosity or awe. The word means to fear, especially fear of God. There were devout men in Jerusalem. These were men who had a fear of God that were observing this moment. In the New Testament, it characterizes characters in the Bible like Simeon. Remember Simeon, the man who sees Jesus being brought to the, to the temple to be dedicated and his heart has been waiting for the Messiah. He has been longing. He was a devout man. The Jews here in Acts 2 Those who bury Stephen in Acts chapter 8, they were devout men. Ananias, the man God uses to pray for the apostle Paul after he's been blinded on the road to Damascus, he was a devout man. The word is used in Hebrews 12. We we looked at this when we were doing the worship and uh, warfare series. Hebrews 12 verse 28 says, Let us then offer God worship with reverence and awe. The word reverence there is the devout word. 
So this is, these are not sham, weird, you know, they don't get it. You know, if they were really after God, they'd get it. No, these are devout people. They would embarrass some of us. They had traveled a long way to be at this feast. And there's people in scripture that are like that, that know something. And at the same time, they don't know something. Remember Nicodemus? It's a man who knew something. A religious teacher, an official, a person with a title and a role. He comes to Jesus privately to ask him some questions. He's a seeker. He wants to know. And Jesus points out to him, you, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. Yes, unfortunately. And Jesus breaks out with him. Really what Jesus breaks out is, is the ministry of the spirit to him. He says, Nicodemus, unless you're born again by the spirit, you can never see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus doesn't say, ah, oh, yes, that's what I've been waiting to hear. He's like, I don't get it. What do you mean born again? Like, like climbing your mother's womb a second time? What do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? It's like, can you imagine you have studied carefully the Old Testament and didn't see that God had in mind the death in humanity that forfeited the spirit, God intended to return the spirit to man and you would be born again of the spirit. Nicodemus, what Bible have you been reading? Is Nicodemus an idiot? I don't think so. Matter of fact, I don't know that I'd want to go toe-to-toe with Nicodemus on the Old Testament. He might put me to shame. There's something about knowing things and kind of not knowing things that is humbling for all of us. Remember Philip walking with Jesus, watching him do things. And he has this brilliant question. He thought it was a brilliant question. Jesus, show us the Father. Remember that? (laughs) You know, we only get Jesus' response. I'm not sure what the rest... Show us the Father? (laughs) I don't know if that's how Jesus... Have I been with you all this time? You still don't get it? Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, dude. You understand, this is a disciple following Jesus. He's got, he's got daily lessons with Jesus. Is Jesus a bad teacher? Like, Jesus, you must not be doing a good job. Philip doesn't get it, Jesus. Look, there's something about us not getting it that's all over the place in the Bible. I love Paul's encounter with the Ephesians in Acts chapter 19. He, his question to them, he meets them for the first time. They're, they're called disciples, so I, I'm led to believe these guys have come to know how to respond to the gospel. Because Paul thinks they have. Hey, did you guys receive the spirit when, when you believed? You remember their answer? We haven't even heard of the spirit. Oh, you haven't. So there's something to learn in this moment that you and I can know something about Pentecost and at the same time, really not know something about Pentecost. Let's not put ourselves in some unique, Americanized, we're the civilized world, we really get it category. As though we understand the things of the Spirit 
Other people don't. Um, Whoever you want to pick from this list, the devout people in Acts chapter 2, Nicodemus, the Ephesians, Philip, whoever you want to pick, there are people who aren't getting it. And, And listen, there can be a variety of reasons why that's true today right here. So I, I mentioned the word Pentecost. There's a big bunch of, we got a lot of new folks in the church. We got a lot of folks who've come in from all kinds of spiritual backgrounds or lack of spiritual backgrounds. Uh, there would be some of you here, the second I mentioned the word Pentecost, it's like you've got a massive wall to climb to listen to whatever I'm about to say. Because you've heard of things like Pentecostal, Pentecostalism. You've got ideas floating around inside of you. You've been around people who took the word Pentecost and almost extracted it from the rest of the Bible and made it sound like it's the only word in the Bible. That's the only word in the Bible. And you've watched them go overboard. So now you have an aversion to that word. It's a good word. It's a Bible word. It's a long-awaited word. Do not let somebody's misuse of a biblical word cause you to steer away from biblical things. I always love when, when people, and, and shame on, I'm going to say this publicly, shame on, and unfortunately, I have moments in my own history where I, shame on me, have observed the abuses of the outpouring of the Spirit in such a way that I, I, I had moments and seasons where I so spoke against that that I ran the risk of giving people an aversion to something that God said was good, just not being done really well. And can I just give you an illustration in in this category? How many of you guys get that marriage isn't always done well? But what is it about Christians that we don't turn around and steer people away from it? Like, oh my gosh, you're going to get married? (laughs) That could be this and that could be this and... But, you know, we get around Pentecost, oh my gosh, you know, I've known people, I've gone to a church and they did this and they did that and they did this. That's wrong. This is a long awaited day. This is like a wedding day, right? It's more like a wedding day than it is a, a moment. It started something. God longed for this day. Because he was going to begin to do something with his people that was different than what he had done before. He longed for this day. And if you have a bad taste in your mouth for it, please do something about that. Let bad experiences stay wherever they were. But don't let it create an aversion for you to the word experience. Pentecost is about experiencing things from God. So don't, don't have an aversion to that. But let me just say this, that, that there are some ideas in, in some of us that have been around this word Pentecost that have allocated this word to a historic moment in your life. And, and, and you say things like this. You know, I was saved in this year and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in this year. And you have a reference point for it. You know, 1987, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, from what you're going to learn today, Pentecost is a doorway into a time zone. It is not 
just and historic event? In the Bible or in your own life? So what are you talking about when you say, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Spirit in 1987. What I want to do with Pentecost is ask you, and what about 1988? What about 1992? What about today? See, because Pentecost is an ongoing thing in God. It's not just a moment. It would be accurate for you to say, I had a unique experience of the outpouring of the spirits in 1987. That would be totally accurate for you to say. But for you to reference something as though, how many, I mean, don't raise it, nobody raising hands here. But I've talked to too many of us who have come from a Pentecostal background who, who don't have much current things to say about the spirit in comparison to historic things to say. That's not what God was installing in Acts chapter 2 when this day came. He was not just giving it. Say, listen, I got saved in 1979. That's a reference point of a moment when something became true. And I have a reference point for that. The experiencing of the Spirit is an ongoing thing. And if you think it's just a moment, you'll stop looking for and seeking and welcoming the experiences of Pentecost today because you think you already checked that box. And too many of us sound that way. And quite honestly, the generations coming behind us, they, they need something to happen now. Not just for us to talk about the things, as wonderful as they have been, that have happened in the past. So remember, Pentecost is a little bit different. It doesn't sit just in the the, sort of the doctrinal category. Justification, yep, I learned about that. Yep, I got got great books on that on my my bookshelf. The atonement and forgiveness, yep. Yeah, I know how that got done, what Jesus did. I've got a bunch of good, cool books on that. Pentecost, uh, yeah, but still happening. Still unfolding, right? So I think I put in your outline, you can be devout and still be without. You can be devout, but you can still be without. So the devout people are asking this question, and it's the right question. What does this mean? What does the arrival of Pentecost mean? Ah, devout folks, that's the right question to be asking, which brings to our second point. It means a different posture of God. God is postured toward us differently. That's one of the things it means, right? So whether this day or season or time zone is special to us or not, it is special to God. It is being engaged differently by God. Does that make sense? Follow the timeline. Eden all the way to the day of Pentecost. In this moment, God begins to behave differently toward man. Is that kind of interesting to ponder? Well, no, God's the same. See, when you blend together the wrong ideas, you'll end up with something that doesn't make you think from 
Pentecost on should be any different, right? And so we just lower our expectations. God is doing something different from Pentecost on. Whether you and I have a value for it or not, he is. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. Where did this stuff come from? From heaven. But that's kind of weird, Keith. Come on. Like wind blowing through a building. Okay, you know. Tongues of fire on people. And then they spoke in tongues. Uh, It came from heaven. It didn't originate in this 120 people who thought, hey, we got an idea. We'll start a denomination. This came from heaven. It's God's ideas. And, And he introduced it to these poor group of folks who didn't know exactly what was going on, which I take great shelter in. Lord, you can do that again because I'm, I'm one of the idiots who doesn't quite know what to expect next from you sometimes. And that's who they were. But here's the explanation. Here's how you answer the question. What does this mean? Acts 2 verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, remember, I want to hang anybody up on this. I just want to make you a little bit allergic to some things because bad people like me, people who have taught you in some of these categories have taught you to be allergic to this. How come nobody taught us to be allergic to mocking things that God is doing? How come that's not coming out of Acts chapter 2? Whatever you think was going on in Acts chapter 2, it was God doing this. And they were saying a bunch of drunken idiots. How come nobody corrected that? Hey, hey, oh, dude, don't be saying that, man. Whatever this is, whatever you think it's weird, whatever it is, hey, hey, don't, don't talk like that. God's in this. Verse 13, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. What did he say? He said, and in the last days, right? You just walk through a portal. Because this is not just on the day of Pentecost. It's in the last days. Days, a season, a time zone in God. In the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to do something different. And your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the, before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. You just got the other parentheses installed. Did you see that? 
When is this season that's being revealed, this portal through which it began, parentheses number one, at Pentecost? When will it end? When the day of the Lord comes to bring judgment and finalize everything. That's the season that we live in, in Pentecost. Verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why is that verse in here? That's not bizarre, strange phenomena. I'm with you. Why is that verse in here? Because it seems to be saying in this parentheses day, God will even make salvation more available to people who call upon him. God is doing something in this season. So verse 17 explains this day, this season, this time zone in the last days, in the last days. That's a biblical category. It's got a lot of description in in, in the Bible. In the last days, for you and I, we read that and we do something unfortunate with it. We act as though, well, that's kind of like, you know, the maybe two or three years right before Jesus comes back. And so we treat the last days like it's way in the future. The Bible does not speak of the last days that way, right? A little help from Mr. John Piper. He says, yes, we are living in the last days. We are. Because the last days began with the first coming of Jesus, And will reach their climax at the second coming of Jesus. The mystery of the kingdom is that the end of this age came and the kingdom of God arrived. But to everyone's surprise, this age didn't completely end and the kingdom didn't completely come. We talked about that last week. In a sense, the question we have been trying to answer all year What is it like to live as Christians in a time when the power of the kingdom has already arrived, but not in its fullness? And a time when the end of this fallen age is already over, but not yet fully over. He says, in the last days, the days that began with the coming of Jesus, God's purpose, listen carefully, God's purpose is to empower his people again and again with extraordinary outpourings of the spirit until the witness to his name has reached all the peoples to the end of the earth. I think that is a much better understanding of how the Bible presents Pentecost. God's purpose is to empower his people again and again with extraordinary outpourings of the Spirit. That's not just the first Pentecost. That's today. That's, yeah, exactly. That's still going on in God's purpose for us. You guys remember, I think, can we pull that slide up, Abby? You guys remember this from last week? Right? There's this age that started when Adam thrust us into an age of corruption. And it's going to continue until Christ's return. But God intruded on this age. He reaches back into this age and he sends his son to redeem us. And this day of Pentecost, right? There's the cross. And you see that little shaded area? That little shaded area, it denotes the work of the Spirit. So prior to Pentecost, the work of the Spirit was at this level. And then Pentecost arrives and God says, I have a new setting for my hose. You guys got hoses at home? You've been doing some gardening? 
we all, I think we all buy these hoses. When I was a kid, you just had the dial hose. Remember those dial hoses? And they went from to focus like that. Well, now you have a setting thing, right? So you've got, you've got mist setting, you know, and it's, for your flowers, it's really soft. There's not a lot of water happening, but it's, it's getting some stuff wet. Then you got jet, you know, I just need to aim this right at that spot right there and get that to come off that thing. And then you got full that just kind of like just empties everything that's in that hose, right? Well, God's got settings apparently because pre Pentecost, it was kind of like a mist setting. Just a little gentle mist falling here and there sometimes. And then there was moments when God used the jet setting where he took one individual and he said, watch this. And he kind of pumped that dude up and all kinds of crazy stuff went on through his life. But, but that wasn't common, right? It wasn't happening all over the place. And then God comes to Pentecost and he jacks everything up. And he says, from now on, I'm going to pour out my spirit. But what he does in this season is not yet what he still will do in the one to come. So we're living in this moment. This is where I think when, when you're, again, when, you're, when, when you don't do a good job of reading all the Bible says, you install unhealthy expectations in this season. That's what's chased off a lot of people from pursuing the things of the Spirit. Because you think, well, if this really is the age of the Spirit, well, then it'd be like heaven on earth, right? No. Because the age of corruption continues. Because there's something in this moment right now that's not heaven yet. And that's still here. So whether we expect miracles, when we pray for situations, uh, we're still in a fallen world that's corrupt. And God has intruded into this world with extraordinary power. It doesn't mean we're going to turn earth into heaven if we'll just use the power of the Holy Spirit. right? I've heard people criticize. Well, if you believe in, you know, the the Bible still has this kind of power available to people and you can pray for people to be healed. Why don't you just go empty out all the hospitals? I don't know if you've said that or not, but that's just a dumb thing to say. Why didn't Jesus go do that? Couldn't he have? How do you explain the moment where he shows up at a pool with all kinds of people who are sick and heals one of them? One, why don't you heal them all? Well, because this isn't heaven. And I'm interrupting this fallen world to give you a taste of what is to come, but I'm not replacing this fallen world yet. So we pray for the sick and some of them get healed and some of them don't. That doesn't give us permission to go empty the hospitals. That's not how these gifts operate, but they do operate. And they are for this moment and this hour. So God has, if you will, changed his setting. He has decided from the day of Pentecost forward until Jesus comes back, I'm going to pour out my spirit in ways. I'm going to give empowerment to you. So this day described and then explained by Peter is a day of outpouring. That's a, that's a good image to have. God was before Now he changed the setting. He is pouring stuff out on his people and empowering us. Now, if you want a category for this, here's what sprinkle and jet jet spray look like. Numbers chapter 11, Old Testament, people of God functioning, lots of people following God in this moment. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will, this is God doing, I will take some of the spirit that is on you, Moses, and put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Are you familiar with that kind of God behavior? There was an individual named Moses. He was like jet spray. God used him miraculously, powerfully to do stuff almost nobody else ever did again. God pumped power into him for a purpose. Let me just say this for those of you who are allergic to Pentecost. It doesn't say anything about him speaking in tongues. If that freaks you out. But it does say, hey, Moses, I'm going to stick you in a moment of ministry that's way beyond your abilities. You can't do what I need you to do. So I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you some power that goes beyond Moses. Moses had boundaries. Moses had abilities. But when God put his spirit on him, good language in the Bible, enablement came to him to where Moses was doing things, leading things, thinking things through, giving out wisdom, performing miracles, leading people with something God gave him. And then God turns around and says, okay, now I'm going to take some of what's on you and I'm going to put it on them, on them. Does everybody get this? No. Matter of fact, up until the time when this little group of elders gathers, Moses is the only one who's got this going on. Do you have a category for that? You understand when you read the Old Testament, God's got this jet spray thing happening and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and you get a few people that are extraordinary and everybody else don't know anything about that kind of experience. Still following God, still trusting him, waiting for a day, the day of Pentecost, when everybody gets this. Your children, why does Joel so, sound so peculiar when he says, oh, your sons, your daughters, male, female servants. It's like, what's the deal with that? Well, because in that day, God's going to do something different than what he's been doing so far. Wayne Grudem says, there are several indications of a less powerful and less extensive work of the Holy Spirit in the old covenant. The Holy Spirit only came to a few people with significant power for ministry. But Moses longed for the day when the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all of God's people. Would, he said, that all God's people were prophets. That the Lord would put his spirit on them. Put his spirit on them. Is this familiar language to you? Because when you get to the New Testament, you're going you're to find this language. The spirit came upon. The spirit fell upon. There's an uponness of the activity of the spirit. That God at any moment can come upon you in a way. Oh, but I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. And there can still be a moment when God pours out his spirit and upon you comes an ability, an urgency, a faith, uh, an insight, something that God gives extra power for you to do. He did it all over the Bible. So I put this phrase, this is a good, good phrase 
in your outline. God is pushing his power, influence, and manifest presence into our experience in a different way. Does that make sense? Welcome to Pentecost. He's still doing that. Pentecost was a doorway. It was not an event. It was a doorway that he is still doing this. Can't improve on Wayne Grudem's insights here. Again, we are teaching through systematic theology, so at some point we're going to actually get to this part of the book. It's way, 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 way many pages. It's 779 page is what this is on. We'll get there, I think, before Jesus comes. We may define the work of the Holy Spirit as follows. The work of the Holy Spirit is to listen to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. The Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity whom the scripture most often represents as being present to do God's work in the world. After Jesus ascended into heaven and continuing through the entire church age, the Holy Spirit is now the primary manifestation of the presence of the Trinity among us. He is the one who is most prominently present, present with us now. This is, this is vocabulary that you must have. When, when Grudem says this phrase, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world. The active presence of God. To manifest the active presence of God in the world. If your response to that is, I thought God was present everywhere. then careful reading of the scripture is very, very important because you will walk by this all the time. God is not present everywhere the same way. He is present everywhere. There are moments where the presence of God will not be felt by anyone. Where can you go from the presence of God? You think you're going to experience the presence of God in hell? But God chooses to be manifest in certain locations. It's all throughout the Bible. And he does that in the New Testament as well. So Pentecost awakens in us an awareness that that there is a day in which we live that God chooses to be manifest by pouring out his spirit on people like you and me, like that verse described to us. All right, let me skip, skip forward a little bit here. I'm going to leave my son a little bit of moments to pray with us. If you, if you look in your, either online, wherever we have this outline, Sam Storms uses a word about this time period. He uses the word characterize. He says, Peter, quoting Joel, tells us that what is happening on the day of Pentecost is something that is to characterize the last days. Characterize the last days. Not something for us just to remember that it happened uniquely on a day in the past. It is to characterize the last days. Now be careful. The spirit upon you, you know, Jesus referenced that. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He was, he was anointed by God. I, I would dare say, I'm pretty confident of this, uh, God has not put his spirit upon me in the same way that he put it upon Jesus. Jesus had a a ministry and an activity that's different than mine. 
I would say that God has not put his spirit upon me in the way in which he has put it upon Moses. I would think the New Testament presentation of there are a variety of gifts in a variety of ministries, but there's one spirit who gives to all would mean that God is not putting power on every one of us exactly the same way. So I think it gets kind of weird and I think it gets discouraging, quite honestly, when you pick up Moses as your example or Jesus as your example and think, hey, bring me to the next Lazarus. Where's the next dead guy? I think you will turn the faucet off of your Pentecostal experience really, really soon. If you think, I'm Jesus' model of ministry is mine. There is an age in which we live in which God still pours his spirit out so that his presence can show up in unique ways in our midst. It's a long list. It's a long list. Those of you who have walked away thinking Pentecost is about speaking in tongues and prophesying, really do need to read more of the Bible. But can I just tell you, it is about speaking in tongues and prophesying. Today, the people of God should speak in tongues and prophesy today. But it's about a lot more than that. Right, so I want you to, I want you to think for a moment, because I want to ask you, what, what, are you, what are you going to do with this? What we heard today, what, what do we do with this? And, and what do you expect What do you expect? And one of the things I just prayed about for this message was just, Lord, would you just, would you awaken expectations in us? I think we've stopped expecting. Would you awaken expectations, curiosity, leaning in? Oh God, what might it be? It's almost as though when you get to Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus has this conversation right before Pentecost with his disciples. It's it's like I almost have this image of a dad with his little kids holding their hands. And he says, okay, now listen, not too long from now, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, okay? I I just want you to know that, guys. And he walks them towards this door. What are they anticipating? What am I anticipating? I live in a day of outpoured power. Am I anticipating anything? Do I expect God to show up in the spaces of my life with extraordinary power in moments that need it? What might that mean to you? Right? The prophecy that we just read will pour out my spirit on young and old. That's every one of us, right? On your sons and your daughters. Hey, heads up, sons and daughters in the room. What are you expecting in your experience with Jesus? Just to come to church? To to read a book? Listen, the Muslims are devout people with a book. But they are not born again and anointed by the Spirit of God. But they're sincere and they're devout and they have a book to read. Our book is a living book. But you and I are you and I are different. We're just not people with a book. We are anointed by God differently in this day in which he determined from Pentecost until I come back, I'm going to uniquely give you something. Oh, Lord, what is that? 
And what is that for me right now in this moment of my life, whatever season I find myself in? And what variety of ways might Pentecost be looking to show up, right? This last quote here, we just last one. Seth, you can come. Oh, you're already here. Listen to, listen to the ground that Wayne Grudem covers here and think about your own life. And can I just say he doesn't cover enough ground because there's so much the Spirit's anointing brings with it. He says, the new covenant power gave the disciples one more effectiveness in their witness and their ministry. More effectiveness, more ability. When you, when you hit that moment where I don't know what to say to this person and they're not responding anyway and nobody wants to hear you can start thinking that it's just you and your words. You and your words are at work right here, right now, right? But God has given us a unique power for any, any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Joe, why'd you say that? Because God is present in this age for people to respond to him. And God opened Lydia's heart to receive what was said to her. Was that profound message? Yeah, I'm sure it was a good message. But God opened her heart. Do you believe that? Do you go out in the day, God, strange power is with me. I could talk to somebody and I don't even know what to say and I don't even say all the right words, but God uses it. And he empowers you to say something and then God awakens something inside of them. Secondly, greater power for victory over the influence of sin. Are you struggling in an area right now? Do you you have a habit of something going on in your life? Are you discouraged by something that won't seem to go away? Have you stopped expecting that you live in the age of Pentecost? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is available with power, not just for you to speak in tongues and prophesy, although you should, but that the power of sin loses its grip and loses its ability to control another day of your life. Do you believe that as you struggle with some temptation or something that's been around since you were XYZ age? Well, that's true. Third, the power for victory over Satan. No matter how much Satan has jacked up his opposition to you right now, there's power anointing pouring out by the Spirit to resist that. Number four, a wide and hitherto unknown distribution of gifts for ministry. Gifts are divine enablements. Gifts are kind of like what Moses had. To lead those people, God gave him some abilities that weren't his. Remember, Moses volunteers, wait, God, I think you got the wrong guy. I don't speak well. I'm not this, I'm not this, I'm not this. And God puts his spirit upon him. I mean, some people won't even serve in children's ministry because I don't know if I can do that, right? I mean, you got to, are you expecting that maybe right now in this season, God would give you some ability to do things that have to come from him? Or have I just stopped expecting that? This is an age of expectation. It is as long as Pentecost is not a moment where a door flung open and closed. And now we all remember that day. It's a portal of time. We live in the age of Pentecost. And this is where Grudem doesn't go on far enough. If you, Jesus spoke over and over and over again about the spirit who would come, the spirit who would come, John 14, John 16. And in, when he does, he's going to lead you into all the truth. Why is it that churches that are known for being teaching doctrinal churches are not called Pentecostal? 
Jesus said there's coming a day. I'm anticipating it. Wait right here. Power is going to come. That day that he was anticipating, he said, when the spirit comes, he's going to lead you into the truth. I think it's inaccurate to say, hey, well, that church is Pentecostal. Because what, what, what makes them Pentecostal? Well, they speak in tongues and they prophesy. But that church over there, the doctrinal one, they're not Pentecostal. How did you get led into the truth? Well, you know, we've got a good preacher and I'm pretty smart and we've got a book. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, wait in Jerusalem. Amazon's going to deliver a book. Wait for the power that will lead you into the truth. Right? This, this will make some of you guys shake off some of your allergic reaction. You go to a Pentecostal church. I'm not sure what you think that means, but I tried to explain just now what I mean by it. But do I expect to experience the spirit of God this way? That's what I want to pray for us about. Could you just, you know, let's, let's, let's stand up together. Lord, what did it, what did it sound like in the spirit? When your spirit inspired Luke to write down that phrase at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived. Or did it feel like finally it's here? the inbreaking of your power into this broken world. The enablement of people to disrupt the corruption of humanity. Divine ability to see things that they could never have seen, to understand things they could never have known. They have a heart towards others in a way that needed divine power to rescue all of us from our own selfishness and pride. When the day arrived, a day when you chose to pour out your spirit on all flesh until you come back. Lord, we're still living in that moment. So Lord, would you speak afresh to the audience that you spoke to on the day of Pentecost? Young and old would dream dreams and have visions. Lord, I pray for every young and old person right now who's going, I don't dream dreams and I don't have visions. Or would you awaken some kind of expectation in our hearts? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Lord, every son and every daughter in the room right now 
who's sitting here today saying, I've never prophesied. Lord, do I expect this to be true? Help us, Lord. Lord, don't leave us here. Living in a day where we've substituted something else to get it done. Besides a hyper-dependence on the presence of God manifest through the Holy Spirit. That's your game plan. The day has come. A book's going to come soon. But the Spirit has come to lead us into this truth. To give us hearts. To give us abilities. Lord, I pray for a room full of expectations, Lord. Would you awaken in us expectations? God, would you disturb complacency that's found its way to us? Lord, help us see there are varieties of ways that we quench the Spirit. That we just don't make room for Him. But I pray for teenagers in this room. They'd hear something today that makes them curious for something more than they've ever experienced so far. That they would not think or determine they've tasted all there is to taste. This is the way it is. Got to pray for seniors in our midst who speak of days gone by and experiences long ago. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for stories to tell. Lord, it's right for us to talk about the day the Red Sea opened and walked on dry ground. So Lord, no problem celebrating what you have done in the past. But Lord, I I pray for seniors with fresh encounters of the outpouring of the Spirit that finds them here in this moment, later in life. Lord, may they know peace that passes understanding because supernaturally you've given it to them in the moments and the hours of their fears. Lord, may you give them clarity of mind and leading into the truth for this hour in which they live that feels like it's different than others. Holy Spirit, be poured out for them in this hour. Awaken in them your nearness. That's what your presence does, Lord. It lets us know you're near. I pray for every person in this place who's experiencing loneliness in their lives. They feel disconnected. They don't sense your presence, Lord. God, you said you'd pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. God, would you disrupt the loneliness that's in lives right here today by having your presence manifest to each person here who feels isolated and distant and disconnected. Lord, we are in the information age. If there ever was an hour that we needed the Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth, it's right now. Our children get educated in a system that is so twisted and so corrupt. Lord, if you don't lead them into the truth, there's not a mom or dad in the room. There's not a person here in the church who's got the power to do what the Holy Spirit is anointed to do. Lead them into the truth. And you said you would pour out your spirit. And Jesus said this day is coming. It's not here yet, but it's coming. Well, now for us, it is here. 
God, I expect, Lord, can, can we stand before you today and expect our young people to be led into the truth, your Holy Spirit to be poured out, for you to confront and confound the darkness that's misleading young and old and anoint us with an ability to get it, Lord, to see, to understand, to not be deceived. God, I pray for people who would not be content to not have experiences. Lord, would you awaken in us being the people who have experiences in you. Lord, we have experiences. And if we're not having experiences, we're asking why. We're wondering why. Lord, we're not okay with being an Old Testament people who lack New Testament power. This is the age of Pentecost, Lord. It's not okay for that to be our story. So Lord, I pray for Lakeview Christian Center. Lord, in the greatest sense, in the fullest sense, in the biblically revealed sense, make us a Pentecostal church full of your nearness and your power and your work in all the categories that you have promised. Lord, this morning, would you just start by shaking up our expectations. May no one leave this place this morning content to not have expectations about how God might pour out his spirit on their life. If some of you guys would like to be prayed for, I don't have time to talk about this, but but there are ways in which God wants to show up when somebody lays their hands on you and prays for you. Oh, that's kind of weird. They didn't do that in the church I came from. Well, they did it in the Bible that I read. And so there may be a moment in which whatever way God needs to meet you, it's going to be because the power of God shows up when you just stood before God and said, hey, God, here I am. With my need, with my situation, God, just do what what you got. I'm just here, God. I'm, I'm seeking and I'm asking, I'm knocking. And God uses somebody with some faith to pray for you in a way that the Holy Spirit just awakens something in you. So when you see prayer at the end of the service, I'm not sure where you're sliding that into your life in a category, but that's, that's what it's about. It's about a unique touch moment. And this is what drives me crazy. I know that there are people who walk into this room with serious entangled issues in their life. Week in and week out, who never come say, God, I just need to get prayed for. I just, God, I just need weird power to show up and do something in my world. Uh, are we okay with just saying, hey, yeah, I came in with problems. I'm entangled. I'm just going to walk out with them too. But thanks. It was a great service. There's a reason why these guys stand up here at the end of the service. So the power of God can uniquely come find you in some ways. So if you need prayer, don't walk out of here today and just go, hang out with friends and laugh a few minutes. Hey, man, let God meet with you for a second. Maybe God wants to fill you with his spirit this morning. All right, come and get prayer. And if not, we love you guys. Look forward to seeing you next week. And uh, next week we'll learn about instruments in the Redeemer's hands. So we'll learn a little bit more about that study. Bless you guys. Great to see you guys who are watching. We miss you. Love you.